People are going to think that I practiced crying. I really didn't. I promise. Got, he's gotten so uh, good at it over the years. He doesn't need to practice. <laughs> Did you practice that in the shower? <laughs> you can't trust your tears anymore. <laughs> I'm Daniel, and I'm the oldest. I'm James, and I'm the nicest. I'm Andrew, and I'm the most amazing. We're We're brothers! brothers. And this is Mormon Raised. A sibling podcast. Today's episode is called Daniel, Holier Than Now, because it's all about Daniel. podcast about what it's like to grow up in a big, kind of crazy Mormon family. In the last episode, we took you to church, and now we're going to talk about our journeys coming out of the church. Over the next three episodes, we're going to introduce each of us and share our relationship with the Mormon church. Dan, since you're the oldest, you get to start. So I want to start the story when I was a teenager, because I think that's when I got the most into Mormonism. Oh yeah, you were really into it. That's an understatement. I think we should start by reading from your journal. No. Ooh, I've got a good one. November 19th, 2001, straight from Daniel's journal. I can't listen to this. How old were you when you wrote this? I'm not telling. No, 2001, you're like 50 now. I can't do math. I was like 14, 15. Perfect. All right, well, this is what you wrote. We had another Mormon talk at lunch. You know, I just wish I could get someone else to know what I know. I am 100% sure the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly found in our church. One million people join every three years who also learn that it is true, but never a friend of mine. I make the same promise to everyone, yet they all must be too scared that I could be telling the truth because no one has taken me up on that promise. Here's the promise. Whoever will study, read, and ponder the Book of Mormon will know that it is a good book. And if they ask God in prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, whether or not it is true, with a sincere heart and an open mind, they will get an answer to their prayer, and that answer will be a burning of the Spirit that will testify to them that the Book of Mormon is true. Wow, you were so sure, Daniel. I don't know what happened. Like I said, I was really into Mormonism in high school. So why do you think it was so important for you to be like, into Mormonism and to be so spiritual. I loved Mormonism because it was part of my identity. It's it's really what made me unique. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't the only thing that made me different, but it was a big part of who I was. And Yeah, but what about struggling with same-gender attraction? Isn't being gay unique too? I guess you could say the foundation of my relationship with Mormonism is my quest to become straight. So why did you think that Mormonism could make you straight? Well, for starters, when I was 14, they gave me a book called The Miracle of Forgiveness by Spencer W. Kimball. He was like the president of the church when our parents were growing up in the 70s and 80s. And there was a passage highlighted in the book they gave me, quote, after consideration of the evil aspects, the ugliness and the prevalence of the evil of homosexuality, the glorious thing to remember is that it is curable and forgivable. Hallelujah. (laughs) Certainly, it can be overcome. (laughs) 
For there are numerous happy people who were once involved in its clutches and who have since completely transformed their lives. To those who say that this practice or any other evil is incurable, I respond, how can you say the door cannot be opened until your knuckles are bloody, till your head is bruised, till your muscles are sore? It can be done. Sounds so painful. I didn't think it was going to be easy. <laughs> that point, is that? are you sure that's a door you want to open at that point? Well, I knocked on that door about as hard as I could. I mean, yes, until my knuckles were bruised because they promised me that I could be cured. Maybe if you weren't gay, you'd be a little bit stronger and you could open it. Maybe if I went to the gym more. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. So yeah, I believed I could be straight, but then there's this question of how. Turn it off like a light switch. Just go click. Anyway, yes, so it's not just you alone. Um, A lot of Mormons believed it, and it's even depicted in the Book of Mormon musical. I thought it was uh, that you're supposed to imagine that your brain is made out of tiny boxes, and you find the one that's gay, and you crush it! Okay. Exactly! (laughs) That's the song! You crush it, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good part. All right. So here's how I was going to become straight. So, I mean, as it turned out, God actually gave me the exact recipe to fix my little gay problem. Oh, he's so nice like that. The instructions were given to me at youth conference. You guys remember youth conferences, right? Basically like Mormon camp or maybe Mormon long weekend. Yeah, it's a retreat (laughs) and everyone gets together and there's programming. So there's speakers and they you do activities and service projects. And then there's a dance at night and everybody... Sleeps in in like a couple people's homes. And so it's kind of like a big sleepover, but it's also kind of like a long brainwash session. Yes. Lots of conditioning. Uh, Um, But I I, I loved it. A retoxing weekend. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Fill up your toxins while you can. (laughs) And mostly I just got to be really spiritual. So I got to have spiritual experiences. And then I also get to... It's not just that I got to have super spiritual experiences. I got to have them in front of other people so they could witness. Oh, yes, you love that. Someone's a little bit of a show off. You know, those spiritual uh, experiences, they come at a cost, though. I think a lot of times they make you like do something like they would make you fast. That's how they produce the spiritual experience. They like break you down and then build you up. So at this particular youth conference, you're right. We were fasting. And doing service, which was like, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but it was something outdoors. Clearing woods. Yeah, it was like in the, it was outside in the woods, it was physical, it was labor. Oh, and we had to take on like a vow of silence for the afternoon. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I did this one. (laughs) You were probably too young, Andrew. So they put you together in these groups, and you're supposed to do all these things together, all these different activities, and there's like trust exercises And the highlight of the event was they sent us off into the woods to have a spiritual experience. And we were supposed to go into the woods and pray and ask God a question and then wait until we received an answer. I went off into the woods and I said my prayer. The sun was shining down at me and I basically I was very like upfront with God. I just said, look, we all know the question that's on my mind. I need to know how to be straight. How easy. 
I know. I, you know, actually, it wasn't so much that I wanted to be straight. It was that I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want to have this problem. And as I was praying, I just remember feeling like overcome with a warm, like amazing feeling of love. And like, it just, it was this powerful experience. And then my thoughts started to gather in my head and I felt like I came away with an action plan on how to take away the what I called same-sex attractions or my my gay feelings. It was like a recipe. It was instructions, a set of instructions. A five-step process. <laughs> exactly. Mormons believe in miracles, but a miracle in Mormonism is it's something that happens because God makes a promise to his people and his people fulfill their end of the promise, and then the miracle happens. So for me, the miracle of of curing my gay problem was I had to uh, go to BYU. I had to go get therapy. So I had been reading about gender affirmative therapy or reparative therapy, change therapy. Uh, I needed to tell my bishop at BYU enlist his help i ha- i believed that the bishops at byu were going to be better than my bishop at home <laughs> whoops and then uh, <laughs> uh i was supposed to ask him for a priesthood blessing with oil that is consecrated for the healing of the sick and the afflicted and then i was supposed to serve a mission and those were the those were like the steps that popped into my brain and i felt this like warm feeling that said if I do these things, then God will take away my gay inclinations. Wow, and you couldn't just do those five easy steps to get straight? No, no, no. I did it. I did all of them. What helped the most? Like, what what did you feel like was uh, the most successful? Or what did you think what just wasn't working? Or I guess... Well, what I expected to do the most was the therapy, right? Like, I thought that was going to be the biggest the biggest thing. Um, So I did this therapy with Evergreen International, which is uh, a Mormon ex-gay. It's like conversion therapy. Yeah. Basically, the philosophy of this therapy was that everybody has these certain experiences when they're young. And if you go through them properly, then you create heterosexuality. And that's what happens for most the people. proper sexuality. Yes. And then if you experience, if you miss these experiences. Like if, like if you do it wrong. If you do it wrong, or if you're deprived of those like experiences that build heterosexuality, then you have these like holes or these these gaps. And that's what causes you to be gay and so the solution as this kind of therapy proposed was you have to fill the holes (laughs) i bet it was (laughs) oh my god i have a hole too and it just needs to be filled fill my hole yeah if you fill the holes then you can be straight perfect i i really like this idea so i have been spending (laughs) a lot of time filling holes hasn't made me straight yet though hey i'm a hole I'm on a roll. So the way you would identify what the holes were, like what you missed, 
is by observing straight people. So I lived in a freshman <laughs> dorm. So literally this counselor, yeah, this counselor was like, hey, you have a bunch of holes that need to be filled. Go watch the boys in your dorm room. Go watch all the straight boys. Yes, and take notes. And take notes. Wow. I don't understand how this counselor um, didn't convert you. It sounds so, so gay. <laughs> so so I would come into therapy with my notes. So this is what this is what they did that I don't do. And even though we were at Brigham Young University, which was a very holy school. Oh, I see what you did there. 18-year-old boys are still 18-year-old boys. And so one of the things that they did that I didn't do is swear. So they would play these video games and they would they would say bad words. Oh my gosh, I just uh shit, I got picked off by some noob. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. James, you have a horrible straight voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should talk about that. So <laughs> James is next week. You'll have to wait. Okay. So at this point I had never said a swear in my life. I'd never said a swear word, which you couldn't even say that, James. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I had. Well, I was straight, so I am straight. Yes. <laughs> That's well, why I yeah. swore. <laughs> yeah, so clearly you swore at a young age and that that developed your heterosexuality. Yes. I was too innocent for that. So anyway, I came into therapy and I was like, so they're always swearing and I don't swear. And so he was like, well, then you have to swear. And I, I really didn't want to. I was a little bit scared. So he tried to get me to say bullshit. And I didn't like that word. So I said, what about crap? Oh, how scandalous, Daniel. Is that why you went through that phase where you kept saying crap all the time? <laughs> <laughs> so literally, he's my homework was to start saying the word crap. So I went back to my dorm room and I looked in the mirror and I looked at myself in the mirror and I would practice. So I would say, and then you started crying. (laughs) Crap. It was emotional. This was a big deal. This was a therapy breakthrough. It's okay to cry. So yeah, I would say crap, crap, crap in the mirror until I got used to it. And then I would try to like say it in real life. So I'd be like hanging with my boys and, freshman dorm room and i'd be like oh yeah crap (laughs) freaking awesome dude yeah because i you know i didn't really know how to talk like a straight person but i tried i tried real hard so this conversion this set you up then so after you you played more video games and and said crap a crap ton of times (laughs) you then got ready to go on your mission right that was the next step Well, that was the last step. So I had all these things. Yeah, I had all these things to do. So I had the prayer. I got the instructions when I was a senior in high school. And then my freshman year was about doing like the first four steps. And I did them all. And then the last step was to go on a mission for two years. And I did. Yeah, something we we all did. It's not necessarily unique. It was in that it's expected for all men 19 years of age at the time to go on a mission for James it's not all men it's all worthy men so if you don't serve you're not worthy you have to be straight enough to swear but righteous enough to feel bad about it to go on a mission exactly exactly so you went on a mission 
Did you like your mission? Actually, I did. After this year of conversion therapy, I was in a really dark place. So the more that I tried this therapy, I really wanted it to work. And when it wasn't working, I got really desperate. And I started doing things that were like more than what my therapist was asking me to do. So for example, I developed this habit and it had started actually a little bit before I started the therapy, but I, I was doing it a lot um, at the end of my freshman year of college where I thought that I could train my brain to stop being attracted to men in the same way that you might train a dog. So I thought if I could associate seeing men with something painful, then my brain would stop wanting to see men. So I would do this thing every time I would imagine or every time I would see somebody that I was attracted to, I would imagine myself getting beaten up with baseball bats. Like I would imagine these arms with baseball bats just like swinging down on me and I would imagine how much it would hurt. Um, and this like violent, like just getting like, beaten to bloody pulp and I'd just be walking down the hallway see a hot guy and then I'd be like oh time to imagine myself getting beat up yeah it's terrible it, it is terrible interesting I've had different imaginations with baseball bats okay. yeah well <laughs> thanks Andrew so needless to say I was not thinking very highly of myself when I left on my mission when I was on my mission, a lot of that really changed because I actually was pretty good at being a missionary. I started to think of myself not as this monster that should be beaten up all the time. And I started to think of myself as like an actually good person. Imagine that. Yeah. So I started like actually getting confidence and getting... So, you know, I did that for two years. And then at the end of the two years... Were you straight? Did it work? Did you become a straight person? I did not. Oh my goodness, but you followed all the steps. God lied to you. That's kind of exactly how I felt. I felt betrayed. God made this promise. I upheld my end of the bargain as best as I could. And he did not uphold his. And I was pissed about it. I mean, I was angry. I was also in culture shock because it's coming home from a mission when you've spent two years completely dedicated to a single purpose and living with all these rules. And that's not, that's not just you. It's not just gay people. All people that come home from missions have a transition period where they are weird. They don't know what to do. It's a very awkward transition back to social normal things. And Mormons even recognize this and make fun of it themselves. Yeah, I was weird as hell after my mission, so. So I tried to be normal. I tried to I, I tried to like get back into the swing of things. I started reconnecting with my old friends. So of course you guys will remember the twins, Adam and Brandon. Of course, we love them. We've known them for a long time since I was four years old and they also were at BYU. So I started reconnecting with them and they were trying to tell me like how much they had changed since they came home from their mission. One of them, Brandon was telling me about how he became a Democrat. 
Scandalous. It's a big deal at BYU to be a Democrat. That's very rebellious. The only thing that is worse than being gay. Pretty much. So, and there were like people in his life who stopped talking to him after that. And so, you know, he's telling me about how like he's this, he's not the same person. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not the same person either. And uh, I was really searching. I st- I went back to the same therapist that I saw freshman year, uh, but he was different. He had gone to this retreat. He'd taken like a sabbatical and he'd gone to some retreat in Hawaii and he came back with like a changed perspective. And he told me he wasn't doing conversion therapy anymore. He was now trying to help people like accept who they were. Wow, progress. I know. A lot happened between 2005 and 2007. (laughs) Therapists helping people? (laughs) Crazy. Never heard of it. (laughs) I know. What a hero he was. You know, this was... So I came home from my mission in August 2007. And this was around the time that blogs had taken off. You guys remember... Zenga. Blogs. Well, this was after Zanga. This was my I'm like, too young. blog I'm, spot. <laughs> I'm too young for this blog thing. WordPress. Oh, fuck you. Well, so there's the there's the. He turned straight after all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anyway, these blogs were really popular in the Mormon world and at BYU and also in the gay world. So there were these blogs that were by... Uh, other gay BYU students and because we could get in trouble for being... Yeah, even supporting at that time, even supporting LGBTQ rights was considered a violation of the honor code. Right. So we had... So so the bloggers, we all had fake names. So my fake name was Peter. I'm reading these blogs. I'm reading them like novels. I would go back to the first post and just read them in chronological order. I could not get enough of them. And I came across this blog one night by these two people whose names whose fake names were Romulus and Remus and they were twins and Romulus was talking about how (laughs) sorry he was talking about how he had become a democrat and it was really hard because his uh you know these people wouldn't talk to him anymore and all of a sudden I realized that these people whom have been in my life and gone to church with me my whole life were the same as me. And so that really changed everything. And uh, for me, because I realized not only was I not alone, but there were people that I liked, that our family liked, that we looked up to, and who were happy, who were also gay. And I came out to them and then, you know, we... They introduced me to all their gay friends. And all of a sudden, I had this whole community of gay BYU students. So then, now that you realize you had a a gay community at BYU, how did that change your relationship with Mormonism? Well, it started changing pretty fast. So you have to understand, I loved Mormonism. I loved being spiritual, having warm and fuzzy feelings. And this was like a big part a defining part of who I was. And one of my favorite things in Mormonism was going to the temple. So a temple is where you go and it's only for members. You have to be a worthy member to get in. You go in and you perform these ritualistic ceremonies 
that are supposed to be super spiritual. And then you get to ponder in this super spiritual elite room that's like basically supposed to be heaven. It's called the Celestial Room. But the whole thing's very weird. And it's kind of, you chant, you do all these weird handshakes. It's very weird. It is weird. But it's also kind of beautiful in, I know you guys might not think so, but I loved it. Because I got to feel holier than everyone else. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, kind of. I mean, I got to feel holy and I got, I had like in the temple, you have secret knowledge that not everybody else knows. I also just, I thought it was a beautiful space. I liked sitting in the celestial room and feeling like I was in heaven. I liked to go to the temple. So when I started dating guys, because that's something that happened when I came out. And uh, I started dating guys. At first, I was very, like, chaste in my dating. So the first guy I dated, the most that we ever did, and it was like a big deal, I held his hand. Ooh, I mean, it really is a big deal. Ah. I know. We were watching this movie, and I put my pinky next to his pinky, but, like, not touching. And then his pinky got closer to mine. And then, like, I almost held his hand, but then I didn't. And then, like... Two weeks later, (laughs) I actually held his hand and it was like, ah, fireworks. This is amazing. It's a boy. Well, I mean, it really is a big deal, though, in that if somebody had seen you holding hands, it could have been uh, you could have gotten kicked out of school. Yes. So I mean, I understand the hesitation. The next guy I dated, we um, we held hands a little bit faster (laughs) I was really, I mean, I was head over heels for him. I just, I, I really liked him and I wanted to do more than hold hands and I wanted to kiss him. Oh oh no. I know. So I knew though, if I went down that path, that I wasn't going to be worthy to go to the temple anymore. So I was in this conundrum. Here's two things I want to do and I can't do them both. After my first date with this guy that I wanted to kiss, I went to the temple. It was November 3rd, 2007. I will never forget that day. I went into the temple and went through the whole ceremony that you guys think is weird. But uh, I came out in the end, went into the celestial room, sat down in this place that's supposed to symbolize heaven. And I prayed again, just like I had in youth conference. And... Basically, I was like, should I do this? If I do, you know I'm never going to come back here again. I just remember being overcome with that same warm and fuzzy feeling that I always loved. And so I knew that was the right thing. I was going to date men and be happy and just find my own way. But I knew that that meant I wasn't going to be accepted in mormonism again i was never gonna and i i've I've never been to the temple since i sacrificed that part of who i was and are you happy you did so happy hashtag it gets better it does get better um it turns out i really liked kissing (laughs) but that's where you stopped because you're a good girl (laughs) so after you came out to yourself when did you start telling the family? Actually, pretty quickly. So, I mean, everyone in the family already knew that I was gay. I mean, it, they knew that. And nope. Nope. Uh, I had no idea you were gay until you told me. Really? Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. Really? Absolutely no idea. But, 
I mean, everybody knew. Like, nope. <laughs> Did you know that I was gay, James? No idea. I didn't know you were gay either until you told me. But I'm like really gay. I'm gayer than a rainbow. No, I, I know you're gay now, but I didn't know then until you told me. I guess I was just sheltered. I, I mean, I was really indoctrinated to believe that everybody was straight like me, the way God meant for it to be. I blame Daniel. <laughs> you're Daniel. You're the one who told me in high school over and over again that being gay was a choice. So, well, <laughs> so yeah, it's your fault, Daniel. It's your fault. That should have been a hint. <laughs> I guess. I guess the family didn't all know, but I did tell mom and dad. I called them up and I told them that I was not doing therapy, and they were not happy. They were devastated. So I was living at home at the time. So I was in high school, and. I remember their reactions. They were very emotional. They were uh, crying a lot, a lot of arguments. I remember them calling Daniel a lot and like crying or yelling over the phone with him. And it was uh, very emotional for me knowing deep down that I was dealing with same-sex attraction as well. Unable to admit it or accept it seeing that really was terrifying for me. And I promised myself that I would never make our parents go through that again, that I would never hurt them the way that Daniel hurt them, because I didn't want to make them have the same reaction. I It was a very emotional time for me as well. I'm so sorry. I accept your apology. No, I like I, I'm so sorry that you for you to see that from them and have at the time that I was having this experience where I was seeing gay people for the first time that were happy, you were seeing that being gay causes pain and it hurts people that you love. And I'm so sorry that that's what you were seeing when you were in high school. All right. This got really heavy. I think we need to do something to lighten up. Well, we could read another quote from Daniel's journal. Yes, but this time it's my turn because I can read it so much better than you, James. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is June 15th, 2002. So Daniel is 15 years old. The youth bore some very spiritual testimonies, paled in comparison to last year's youth conference. But even still, I felt the spirit burn in my bosom. Actually, for the first time I can think of, I didn't want to bear my testimony, but there went the fire in my heart. I just had to get up and testify of my savior. The very first thing I said though was, I don't know why everyone's so grateful for the spirit. I hate it. Pause. When the laughter died down, I proceeded to explain why. That it made my heart beat so fast and it made me squirm in my seat during testimony meetings. Then it makes me all choked up and emotional until I cry. Then it tells you things and makes you want to do things. Then I couldn't control myself anymore and I began to cry. When I got my emotions in check, all I could say was, see what I mean? 
I went on to bear my testimony of the church, its head, Jesus Christ, and its prophet, the power of the Holy Ghost, for which I am actually very grateful. So that was testimony meeting. Wow, Dan, you were hilarious. How long did you have to wait for that laughter to die down? Ah, shut up. Taken out of context, it sounds a little sexual. Made my heart beat so fast, it makes me squirm in my seat, makes me all choked up. Oh my God. See what I mean? (laughs) All right, let's close. I'm sick about talking about Daniel and the fire in his bosom. This has been enough Daniel to last a lifetime. In the the name name of Daniel's burning bosom, amen. If you're enjoying this podcast, be a good missionary and tell your friends about it. Here's a promise for you. If you listen to this podcast with an open mind, then you will know that it is good. And you'll feel a burning in your bosom that will make you want to leave us a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Mormon Race Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. The music in this episode is Anthem for the Good Life by Young Presidents, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated.